Uh, we may as well just get right to it because we have a, a lot of stuff to cover. The passage that was just read, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, is our text for this morning. Thanks again, uh, Christina, for reading that. Last Sunday, we began a uh, little mini-series within the bigger series of Ephesians, which we've been in for several months. Uh, the mini-series called The Christian Family. And uh, our goal has been and is to discover God's plan for our marriages, for our families, so that we can, obviously, as believers, properly align ourselves with His plan, with His will. Why? So that we can please Him. Uh, and I would say so that we can enjoy all of the blessings that He has for us through uh, what marriage would be called the grace of life. And so uh, when we live in accordance with His design, when we live in accordance with His will, in accordance with his plan, we, we do receive, really, just all that he has for us. It's not that he's not a good God and doesn't care for us when we don't find ourselves in his will because his grace is insanely cool, but, man, when we, when we work to be in his will, it's just a, it's a special thing. And so, uh, last week we learned that God has placed wives in a submissive-slash-supportive role where they are to care for their husbands, uh, care for their children, and care for their household. Uh, we learn that God has placed husbands in a leadership role or headship role where they are to provide for their wives' families and protect them. We also learn that husbands and wives are not to share their roles or priorities with one another. They're not to trade uh, because doing so does go against God's design and which is ultimately unpleasing to the Lord and uh, I think in the ultimate, ultimate sense, probably is harmful to our marriages and families. And, uh, you know, I just want to uh, thank you, uh, church, for being so gracious with such tough subjects lately and, and so willing to learn and to humble yourselves. Um, I thought I was going to get a lot of emails or, you know, death threats last week, but... Um, None of that happened, and so, you know, you guys really, really are just great, great students and, and um, great friends and just really, really gracious and, and willing and wanting to do what the Lord wants us to do, and so I just commend you for that. Thank you for being a great church. Um, so last Sunday, we did look at part one. It was the role and priorities of the wife. This morning, we're going to look at part two, the role and priorities of the husband. We've already read, read our main text aloud. Uh, it'd be befitting to pray again and then get to work, okay? Lord, um, we just want to, again, humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the authority of your word right now. We, we pray for the Holy Spirit that he would do some great work in our lives today. Um, there could be some thinking, well, this is really about husbands, so, you know, and I'm not a husband, so I don't need to listen, I don't need to pay attention, I don't need to be here. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's amazing how you teach us, even if we're focused on a particular person or something like that, how you, you teach us things regardless. And so I just pray that we would not have, you know, if we're not married or whatever, we would not have that kind of attitude now, that we would be focused in, des in desiring to learn from you, even though we might be talking about husbands. Any other distractions that we might have, we pray, as Kelly prayed earlier, that you would put away with those things. Uh, we pray that you would nourish us with the scripture uh, that you would challenge us with the scripture, that you would convict us with the scripture, um, that you would sanctify us with the scripture, which means to make us more like Jesus. And we love you, 
and we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Well, let's pick it right up at, uh, we'll say, 25A, verse 25A. 25A, are you there? Okay, good. It just simply says, husbands, love your wives. Pretty simple statement, pretty straightforward. And I would say after commanding the wives, because we, we do want to look at what Paul's saying in this text as commands. These are, these are direct commands. These are things that we need to take very seriously. And so after commanding wives to submit to their own husbands, obviously we see here Paul kind of shifts gear and issues a command to the husbands to love their wives. Now love is, um, I think most of us are familiar, we talk about original language and stuff here all the time, but love would be translated as agapeo. Um, so it's like agape, but agape is, uh, would be the noun form of that Greek word for love, and agapeo would be, the, uh, it would be the verb form of it. So it's like agape in action. It's to, it really means to, to love your wife with agape love, and we've talked about what agape love is. It's not like the other forms of love that we looked at. Agape is like this self-sacrificing, laying down your life, Jesus kind of godly, divine love. It's this supernatural love. It's really just foreign to who we are as people, but it comes down to us in Christ and through Christ. So it's God's love, we'll say. So he's saying to them, agapeo or agapeo your wives that's what he's telling them to do it's agape in action it's to uh, love them with agape love and you know because we're we're talking about love right now more particularly husbands loving their wives i want to talk about love in just a general sense for a moment before we move on um because i think that there's Obviously, there's confusion about love, and we've tried to extinguish some of that in the past, but I think there's confusion in this passage about love, in this particular passage, I'd say in Ephesians 5. Um, so since we're talking about it, I want to try to clear up some of this uh, confusion, and, and it could very well be, and this is, this is a common belief among Christians, it could be your belief as well, but some say that this passage basically states maybe in an indirect way, that, that wives are not required to love their husbands. <laughs> you know, they think that, that it is the responsibility, because the text does plainly say that it is the responsibility of the husband to love his wife, but, but somehow wives are not required to love their husbands, but simply to submit to them and respect them. Now, we just need to understand something very clear about Scripture, and that's that the basis for all that a Christian does is to be love. Love is foundational to who we are and to what we do. It is the basis for what we do. And I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a really, really good example of that and makes that truth very known. You know, in that Paul says along the lines of this, he says that, you know, anything, anything done apart from love, is a clanging cymbal, is a banging gong, is hip-hop in heaven. I, I hate hip-hop. It's bad music in heaven. So, so anything done apart from love, anything done apart from love is bad music in heaven. It's just, 
It's noise, it's clanging, it's disorderly, it's ungodly. And so, so we need to understand that the basis for what we do in all things is love, at least according to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, now also understand that the very context for our passage has to do with, the context for Ephesians 5 here has to do with walking in love, verse 2. We haven't left that context. That's the context for everything that Paul says here. We're to walk in God's love. We're to walk in his wisdom. We're to walk in his light. We're to walk in his spirit. So the context is love. So what that means is that the basis for a wife's submission to her husband and respect for him is love and as unto the Lord. The spirit-filled wife loves her husband and expresses her love through submission and respect. So that's the right way to interpret what we're looking at. Not to, to try to layer into or extract something from the text that isn't there. And I would say, and I say this quite often, we need to be very careful in handling the scripture we need to be careful not to add or subtract from it and and literally saying that this text conveys somehow that wives are to respect but not to love is exactly an addition or a subtraction uh, it would be uh it would be what i call eisegesis and that's where we look at the text and, and we try to pull meaning out of it that's not there or we try to place meaning on it that's not there uh, and let me let me just flip it for you for a moment Okay, to prove the you know, futility of this line of thinking. Verse 33 says that wives are to respect their husbands. It does not say that husbands are to respect their wives. So if we use the same logic or illogic, then that must mean, if we say, use the same rule, then that must mean that husbands are merely required to love their wives, but they don't have to respect them. Do you see how it works? If you apply that line of thinking, you've got to apply it to everything here, and somehow... I'm required to love Rachel, but I don't have to respect her. Or you're required to submit or respect your husband, but you don't have to love him. It's lunacy. So if we apply that same logic, then we're just deducting all sorts of stuff here. Now, I just ask you, does it sound right that somehow, you know, I, I have to love my wife, but I don't have to respect her, or you have to, she has to submit to me, but not love me? The question becomes, how do you love a person without respecting them? How do you submit to a person without loving them? How does it work? If you've got it figured out, let me know, because that's an interesting thing. I don't know how those work. Now, I would admit that I attempt to do all sorts of things without love. It's my very nature. But it can't be true. Love is to be the basis for what we do. And I'll tell you this. If we are motivated by something other than love, like fear, like guilt, like compulsion, like a sense of duty, or a selfish motive, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 2-3, we have nothing and have gained nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. If we do anything apart from love, if we do it out of anything else, a selfish motive, and I will admit that sometimes I do things out of duty, but if that's what's driving me all the time because I have to do it, that's not love. That's a clanging cymbal. That's a banging gong. That's Kanye in heaven. <laughs> and so, you know, love 
is to be the basis. Not an easy thing for unlovable people. But that's, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that's the work of the supernatural gospel and of our supernatural God that he pours out his agape on us so much so that he commands us to show it and to live by it and to extend it and to act upon it. And we totally have now a propensity and ability to do that through that supernatural work. We've been made new people. Never, ever, 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 ever forget that love is the basis for all. It's the basis for all that we do. There's no way to truly respect, submit, or do any of those things apart from love. You can do them for wrong reasons, and most of the time that's what we're doing. And praise God for his grace and the gospel. But don't make the mistake and think that we can deduct love out of here. It is the context. It is the context for all. Now look at 25b. 25b. So he tells husbands, right, previously, love your wives. And he says here in 25b, as Christ loved the church. Okay, so what we see here is the model that husbands are to follow. He tells them, he commands them, love your wives. And then he backs it up with, here's the model that you follow. Here's the example that you follow. And I, I love how Paul writes, under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, he, 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 not, he doesn't just tell people what to do, he tells them how to do it, right? Because we're practical people that need practical instruction. And so it's like, it's one thing to tell somebody they need to do something, it's quite another to show them or to say how to do it, which is important. And that's what he's starting to do here. As Christ loved the church, there's the model that a husband is to follow. He looks to Christ to see how Christ loved and loves the church. And he follows that example. This would be agapeo. Agape in action is what he's referring to. And we move on in 25c through 30. Paul described how Christ loved, loves the church. And the husband is to imitate him by doing the following things. And he starts the list. Again, very, very practical. Look at 25C. First thing we read, 25C. And gave himself up for her. Christ left the glories of heaven to come to earth to become a man. He lived a perfect sinless life and earned a perfect righteous standing with God. He surrendered himself to the authorities and was beaten and tried in a late night kangaroo court. He was pronounced guilty. He was scourged. He was crucified on a cross and he died. And in doing so, he did what? He gave himself up for her. He died for his bride, the church. This was the greatest act of sacrificial love ever done by anyone. Now, friends will die for friends. It happens all the time, especially on the battlefield. But Christ's death was unique in that he bore the sins of his church, his people, on his own body. Through his death, he paid for our sins. And because of this, we can be reconciled unto God and enjoy fellowship with him by grace through faith. In a similar way, a husband is to lay down his life for his bride, his wife, not to pay for her sins, for that is the work of Christ alone, but to lay it down for her benefit, to lay it down for her provision, to lay it down for her protection, to lay it down for her well-being. 
Now, most husbands think that this particular text right here has to do with, you know, maybe dying in the line of duty, you know, to protect their wife, like in self-defense or something like that. They say, you know, things like, and I've had many discussions, they say things like, well, it has to do with taking a bullet for my wife, and I would do so, so I'm being obedient to what the text says here. If there's a mugger, I'm going to jump in between him and my wife. I'm going to take the 38 round of the chest and save her life. Chances are you'd probably run off like a little girl. I just hate to burst your bubble if you think that that's what this passage means. If you believe that, you know, that that's what Paul intended here. Now, let, me, let me tell you, he had something vastly different in mind. Let me explain. Okay, the text says Christ gave himself, right? This is past tense. 2,000 years ago, Christ came. He gave himself up for, for his church, right? But for husbands, it is switched to the present tense. A husband is to give himself up for his wife, which is ongoing, does not have to do for waiting for an opportunity to jump in front of a bullet or a speeding car to save your wife. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with being a husband and giving yourself up for your wife moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour. I know it sounds hard. Day by day. It's an action. It's agapeo. It's living it out all the time. Not waiting for some opportunity. It's doing it all the time. It's, as it says in Scripture, living as a sacrifice unto God and also, in a way, unto your wife. It really has to do with living sacrificially for her, laying down your life and desires for her benefit and well-being. That's what he means. Because that's what Christ does and did for his church. He laid down his life for his church. He sacrificed, stepped out of the glories of heaven, laid his life down for his wife, his bride, the church. And we're to follow a very similar example of of dying to ourselves for the glory of God and for the benefit of our spouse. It's not like, yeah, I would die for her if I had to. Uh, Pardon me, sir, you're supposed to be dying right now for her. Right now. And and that's how you submit to her. Wait a minute, husbands aren't to submit to wives. Yeah, love requires submission. Wives are required to submit to their husbands, but the very basis and essence of love is submission to someone and laying down your rights, at least agape's definition. And so this is how you submit, if you want to say it, this is how you submit to your wife, by loving her and by dying to yourself, exalting her in a sense and humbling yourself and making sure that she is cared for. In verses 26 through 31, Paul describes three ways a husband is to love his wife. Three ways that he is to do this. He is to lay down his life and love her sacrificially, to follow Christ's example. Okay? Need to recharge real quick. It's decaf. There's no recharging happening. But it tastes good. All right. Three things. Number one, This is how a husband loves his wife in accordance with this passage, in accordance with God's design and plan and will. Number one, a husband is to care for his wife's spiritual needs. Very simple. Verses 26 through 27. 
He says that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look, the Lord Jesus sanctifies, cleanses, and washes the church with his word. Now, he did this at Calvary, but he continues to do it today. In a similar way, husbands are to sanctify and cleanse their wives by washing them with the word or presenting the word to them so that the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit of Christ can do that and achieve that goal. Now, most Christian husbands believe that keeping an eye on their wife's spiritual development is what they're called to do rather than actually participating in it. And watching your wife care for her spiritual needs through reading the Bible, through prayer, through attending Bible studies is not equivalent, it's not equivalent, men, it's not equivalent to you sanctifying and cleansing her with the word. There's a big difference. God calls husbands to participate in this endeavor. Not to spectate. Husbands are the priests of their homes, and it is our responsibility to nourish our wives and our families with the Word of God. Okay, so what you typically see in households is, oh yeah, my wife's growing, she's growing with the Lord and all that, it's amazing, she reads her Bible, she goes here, she does this and all that, and you ask the question, well, how do you participate in that? Well, she just kind of does her thing. Okay, well, I'm really glad she does her thing. She self-feeds. She obviously loves the Lord. That's fantastic. But what do you do? I say it's okay. So you're sanctifying her and washing her with the word. Well, I'm washing her with my word. I said okay. Uh, Charlie, there's no one in here named that, I hope. That's not the same thing as washing and sanctifying her. You're allowing her to do things. Well, it's close. One time she wanted to go to a Bible study and I had to cancel my bowling thing so she could do it so I could watch the kids. I sanctified her, right? Well, that's good, but no. You know, husbands, I know I'm one. We, we, we prefer cruise control. We just want to, like, you know, set something up, right? We'll build it and we want it to self-manage and to kind of do its thing. We just kind of point it in a direction and, and then once in a while we'll, we'll check in on it. Well, there's a huge difference between that and that mentality and actually partaking in your spouse's sanctification. A big difference between even managing or watching or promoting. There's a difference between that and actual action. And, you know, unfortunately for us, I guess, if we want to be lazy and continue to do what we do, agapeo won't allow it because it's love in action. I would say this is a, is, a, is a stern warning. A husband who claims to be Christian but is passive in spiritual matters and the things of the Lord, who does not lead in the home through the administration of the word and a number of other things, any husband who claims to be a believer and who is very passive and doesn't participate, doesn't help his wife in these things or anything, he needs to test himself to see whether or not he's in the faith. And I will tell you that this is a huge problem in the church today. 
one of the biggest problems in the church today. There are far too many husbands out here who out there who claim Christ but do not do not lead their wives and families. There's more that don't than do. And you know what I refer to them as? And this is going to just be mean and ugly and sound nasty, but to me they're spiritual deadbeats. Similar to how a dad who ditches his family and doesn't provide for them is a, a deadbeat in that sense. We're all familiar. I come out of a family like that. That's who my dad was. He's a deadbeat. The man who forsakes the things of Christ and claims Christ in his home and does not instruct and teach and admonish and do the things that we're talking about, he's a spiritual deadbeat. He's a spiritual deadbeat. And there's just far too many of them. Now, I would say this. A husband can have a hard time providing for his family. This happens, right? The economy's up and down. Sometimes work becomes scarce. You know, there are layoffs. There are losses. I get it. I've been there. But a husband who claims Christ and doesn't lead his family and care for their spiritual needs, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, he ranks amongst the lowest. He's down. He who does this is literally an abomination because he displays a kind of hatred for the Lord and a kind of hatred for his wife and a kind of hatred for his very children. He neglects what is most important in and to his family, which is Christ. And he does it in the name of Christ, which multiplies and magnifies his transgression. It's low. It's disgraceful. My, my, my point to the person who does that is, would you do us all a favor and just do what you actually want to do and renounce Christ? Just stop pretending. And if you are a believer and you're immature, ignorant, or lazy or whatever, repent. You know, last week I mentioned uh, some ladies that, um, that I ended up counseling, and not all at the same time. Um, praise the Lord for that. Um, I'm a, I'm a guy. I don't counsel women very well. I can barely counsel guys. And for some reason, I told you last week, I had all these women. I, they were like mothers of children in the ministry I was leading. They kept coming to me and, can you help me with my marriage? When I, 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 I guess. Let me call my admin so she can come in because you don't, you, know, you don't counsel women without another, another person in the room. And so, you know, here I am counseling some wives and stuff. And, and I'll tell you this, some of these gals were married to men who were doing this. They were married to men who were doing this. You know, they went to the altar, they went through the Christian counseling and all that, then they went to the altar and they, they agreed, you know, we're going to make our marriage about Jesus and all this. We love Jesus and we're going to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord and all this. And they go into this thing and they do it. I do, I do, kiss children, life, all that, husband, deadbeat, doesn't do anything, wife can't figure it out, been like this for 17 years, the result, these wives were discouraged, exhausted, heartbroken, why? Because their believing husbands chose not to love them or their children the way the Bible describes in this text, and it is disgraceful. 
It is disgraceful. You know someone like this? Maybe when you look in the mirror, you see him. Test your faith. If there's no fruit, there's no root. And the first place, one of the first places that fruit will begin to show is in the home. Kind of starts with you throwing away all the bad CDs, DVDs, telling all your family members outside of your home, you're all going to hell, you need Jesus. I remember what it was like, right? It's like you go out there with a sword, and not the sword of the Spirit, the sword of death. I mean, you're just on fire in such a way you can't control any of this stuff, and it's just, it's just a mess, right? At least there's some fruit there, and as you start to mature, then you can go back and apologize to all the people, and you, know, you can go back and get those CDs. If, if, you know, if there's no fruit in your life, if the fruits of the Spirit aren't there, and, and, they, and, and in this context, they, they would be manifested through leadership and loving your family with the Scripture. Hey, you don't have to be a dang scholar. I'm not talking about everyone being, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm R.C. Sproul at my house. If that's your case, I feel sorry for your wife. Not because R.C. Sproul's a bad guy, but you ain't him, never will be. And you pretending to be him, that's going to be difficult to live with. I'm not talking about being a genius here and having it all down. We're just talking about even the simple things here. Open up a Bible here and there. Read some scripture. Have theological conversation. I mean, it's not... And if you love the Lord, you're going to be interested in the things of the Lord. You're going to want to... You hear a message, you know, about your role and priorities as a husband, and you don't say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I'm going back to business as usual. You say, I'm falling short in these areas, and I want to get myself aligned with God's design. What do I need to do? Now let's look at some of the key words and phrases again. What does it mean to sanctify her? Sanctification has to do with growing uh, in Christ, it has to do with becoming more and more like Christ, right? Sanctification is a lifelong process. There's a couple of different types of sanctification. There's the once and done thing that happens at faith when the Spirit comes and regenerates you, but then there's the process of it too. It's called progressive sanctification. It's becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. A husband is to be an active agent in the sanctification of his wife, and vice versa, ladies. An active agent. He has to help his wife become more and more like Jesus through the ministry of the word, through prayer, through discussion, through friendly debate. Don't talk about Calvinism. Through loving... I I, I like that stuff, but but it just doesn't go down too good. Uh, Loving correction... Setting a godly example, right? Here's, here's how you sanctify your wives, guys. Through the ministry of the word, sharing the scripture, opening up the scripture, talking about scripture, through, through prayer, through discussion, talking about the things of God, talking about life, talking about how we apply things, practical things, whatever, friendly debate, right? You can, you can debate things. Well, I think it's this, I think it's that, I love you anyways. Uh, loving correction. Loving correction is massive when your spouse, wife, or husband Going down a bad path, making bad choices, saying things they shouldn't say. Loving, loving correction, loving admonition. 
Setting a godly example is, is one of the greatest ways you can do it, but that's like just living it out in front of them, with, you know, and you need to do more than that. You, you need to speak and do other things. Another phrase, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This has to do with purity. This has to do with purity. A husband is to be actively working to preserve his wife's purity and to expand this purity so that it permeates every area of her life, her speech, her actions, and so on. And he also does this through the ministry of the word because the word of God is what washes and cleanses us. It's what renews our minds and changes our dispositions, attitudes, desires. It makes us new people. It makes us like its author, the Lord Jesus, who is the word, right? John 1.1, John 1.14. The Lord Jesus sanctifies and purifies us with his word. And the husband is to teach the word, open up the word with his wife so that the Lord will sanctify and purify her. So important that, that we understand that agapeo for the husband to the wife does not have to do with leading her into impurity, causing her to stumble with what we say or do. Read a um, little post the other day about how um, these two pastors were being interviewed. Pastors! Okay? Were Christian pastors. They were being interviewed and, and, and they were talking about intimacy in their marriages and all that. And the guy's asking these questions. And one pastor, you know, the, the subject of Playboy came up, the magazine, and, and said, you know, well, what do you think about that in your marriage? You know, having that in your home and all that, and you guys looking at that together and all that to spice things up. One pastor said, I would never do that. I'm not going to do that. It's unholy, it's unrighteous, it's, it's not pure. It generates lust in me in these things. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be holding my wife with other women in my mind in these sorts. And this one pastor says this, right? He's got the right answer. The other guy's all, oh, we, we, we look at it all the time. It helps us tremendously. And that's a fantastic example of a fool who does not seek to purify his wife or himself, but to subject her to garbage, to unholiness. Guys, loving our wives means helping to keep them pure, which means that we're living in purity, and when we see impurity with them, we give loving instruction, correction, whatever it is. I will admit that it's a very, very challenging thing because none of us like to be told what we should or should not be doing. But if we're basing our lives on love... Okay, so... In order to sanctify and purify a wife through the ministry of the word and these various things, that's obviously going to require three things, right? Time, energy, and patience. Patience, patience. This is where self-sacrifice may have to come in. If we as husbands do not have enough time in our busy schedules or enough energy left over to care for our wives' spiritual needs, let me tell you guys, we need to rework our schedules and make time to do so. Our hobbies, our softball team, our bowling league, our video games for some of us, whatever, these things are not any leisure. It's not as important as our wives' spiritual needs. They're not as important. We think they are. We value them tremendously, and sometimes we exalt them above that. But they are not as important as her spiritual needs. And I will tell you this, neither is your job. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for my family. That's why I work 82 hours a week. And I, you know, I forgot their names, but you know, I do it for them. 
I'm there all the time and I'm doing this. Why? So we can have that amazing boat. So we can have that, you know, little cabin up there on Don Pedro. I do all this stuff for them. Do you use those things? No, I don't have time to, but we have them. Look, your, your job advancement in your company, your professional, if you have them, pursuits, none of these things are as important as your wife's, as your family's spiritual needs and development. None of them are. Through the years, I've just witnessed way too many believing husbands who neglect their wives and children for this company or for that company. And I would say this, this too is an abomination. Let me tell you something, husbands. Your wife and your children need you, not more stuff. Not more cars. Not bigger houses. Not fancier cars. Not fancier things. What they need is you. The best life you could ever give them is a life with you in it, surrendered to Christ. Your presence, your love, Your leadership is what your wife and children need most. If you don't have time or the energy for them, you need to cut something out and you need to do it as soon as you can. Sacrifice something. Make time. Make your wife's spiritual life a priority and I guarantee God will bless your efforts. He will. If you do these things in love, with a gentle attitude and in humility, you don't go to your wife and say, well, I find these four things wrong with you. Go back to work and work your life away, because that's not going to help. I've done it. Then I realize I'm talking to nobody. Then I realize I'm on the couch. There's a way to do these things, too, we would want to say. In love. In love. If it's based on love, then, then that means that we have... We have their greatest, you know, we have what they need most in our minds and hearts. We are wanting to love them and nurture them so that they become like Christ and so that they receive these additional, whatever it is. We have the right intention for them if it's based on love. And so that means that it's going to dictate how we minister. Do these things gently. The best life you could ever give your family is a life with you in it, surrendered to Christ, with you leading And I I would say make your wife's spiritual life a priority. And and I would also say that if you lack patience like I do, pray that the Lord would give you that virtue. Because you know what? Biblical instruction, any kind of instruction requires great patience. Because like I said, none of us like to be told what to do. Even though we're new creations in Christ, it's still a rub. And so you you need to learn patience. You need to become a master of patience. And when you say things, don't expect, you know you know, your wife to start fanning you like you're some kind of, you know, emperor. Yes, master. That's not how she's going to respond. And that's not what your goal is anyways, because that would be a self-serving idea. It's, you know, when, when, I, when people come to me, and really what dictates where I go with it is how they come to me. But at first, it's, it's like, who the heck does he think he is? Who does she think he is? About an hour later, I'm sorry, Lord. So it really matters how you come to people. And if you lack patience, pray for them. God will give them to you. Maybe. He'll just bring you more experiences where you're tested in that, and then you're like, okay, we're good. Number two, okay, right? So the first thing is 
Husbands are to care for their wife's spiritual needs. The second one is, is just like it, but a little different. The husband is to care for his wife's physical needs, verses 28 through 30. It's just real simple stuff here. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Christ loves his church, and he provides for her spiritually and physically. I'm reminded of Acts 6, where a great need arose in the church. You know, the church had grown exponentially. There was a lot of people in it by this point, and and this, this tremendous need arose in the church among the Hellenists, which were like kind of like a half-Greek convert, if you will. And these, the Hellenist widows, you know, were, were, they had a tremendous need. They were being neglected. They weren't, you know, there was like a, the church was so big and, 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 and really so on task that they had like a distribution center where they were getting food and things for widows and caring for people and all that. And this great need arose amongst the Hellenist widows. Some of them were being neglected. And, and, and all of a sudden some friction happened and, you know, the Hebrews were battling with the, you know, Hellenists and all this kind of drama was playing out. And the Lord Jesus met that need, that Hellenist widow's need, by having the apostles appoint deacons to oversee and manage the distribution ministry and to make sure that those gals were being cared for. I mean, this is just one example of how the Lord Jesus provides in a physical way for his church. We see it right there in Acts 6. In a similar way, a husband or the husband is to care for his wife's physical needs. Notice how Paul used the example of our own bodies. As husbands, we, we care for our own bodies. We nourish them with food and drink. We buy manscaping things and groom our bodies, right? Some of us have to fight nose hair like something else. We buy clothes, we buy shoes, we buy you know, sunglasses, we buy cologne, cologne. Some of us are into fitness. Obviously, you can tell by my ab, not really. We, as husbands, we like to feel good. We like to look good. Some of us like to smell good. Some, not too much. In a similar way, right? Or in the same way that we care for our own physical needs. These are just examples, right? There's more. In, in, in the same way that we care for our own physical needs and bodies, we are to care for our wives' physical needs and bodies i'd say with all due respect you're probably going to spend more money as a husband on your wife's physical needs especially if she shops at ulta <laughs> unless of course you're metrosexual which means that you're hyperly as a guy into self-grooming just way over the top, that's what the term means. Like, you know, you're just like, dang it, I can't get this one hair. Then you shop at Ulta and you spend more money there than she does. With all kidding aside, the idea is that a husband is to provide for his bride, to provide for his children as Christ is the provider for his bride, the church, Right? You care for your own body, men. Care for your wives. 
The Bible gives a great, incredible warning to believing husbands who do not care for the physical needs of their wives and children, their family, their relatives. 1 Tim 5.8, anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. How can a person be worse than an unbeliever, one who is separated from Christ on the broad road to destruction, doesn't have the joy of the Lord or any of that, no sense of purpose, anything? How can someone be worse? Well, let me explain. What Paul meant is that any Christian husband who did this would be lower than an unbelieving husband who doesn't do it. In Paul's day, it was incredibly uncommon for a husband to shirk his responsibility to care for the physical needs of his wife and children. You did not, in his, this back in this day, 2,000 years ago, you didn't have deadbeat dads. Provision was always made. It was a top priority, even for unbelievers. It was a top priority. It was unheard of. If you learned of somebody that did that, that husband was shunned, and maybe that family was adopted in a sense. We're going to take care of him since that bozo won't. Unheard of. Deadbeat dads did not exist then. It was cultural taboo and unacceptable amongst unbelievers, amongst pagans. What Paul basically said here is that a believer who does this would be lower or worse than an unbeliever who would never do it. That's what he means. You've ranked yourself under an unbeliever who would never do what you're doing and you claim Christ unheard of. So much so that the husband who does this, the one who professes Christ and who does this, who doesn't care for the physical needs of his wife and family, the guy who does this, he says, has denied the faith. Why? Because faith is always, true faith is always accompanied by good works. More specifically in this context, meeting the physical needs of his relatives and household. This is a very, very serious warning. I, I, I understand. I mean, there are times that, you know, things happen, job losses and all that. I get it. I get it. I get it. There's a difference between you experiencing that and that that's not your fault. There's a difference between that happening and you choosing to be a sluggard. There's a huge difference. There's an attitude difference. There's a big difference between, well, I lost my job and I've been looking ever since. I've been holding out for management. You might want to start flipping burgers. You need to do something. But there's a difference between, you know, wanting to work even though you can't right now and saying, I'm going to kick back in the lap of luxury and do nothing while maybe my wife goes and gets a job and does these things. We're just going to switch roles. Huge difference. This applies to you if that's your attitude. If you will not provide, if you choose to not provide for them. Not to be played with here, guys. It's your, it, God designed you to go out and to earn and to work and to do these things. But there, again, there are circumstances that happen. There are job losses. There are illnesses. There are things that happen. God makes an exception for those things. What I'm talking about here is an attitude and a deliverance in shirking your responsibility. So understand that. And unfortunately, there are men that just don't want to do what they're called to do. Number three, the husband is to put his wife above others, even himself, but not above Christ. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul cited Genesis 2.24 here. 
One of the greatest barriers to a successful marriage is the failure of one or both partners to leave father and mother. In marriage, a new family is begun and the relationships of the former families are to be severed as far as authority and responsibilities are concerned. Parents are always to be loved and cared for, but they are no longer to control the lives of their children once they are married. Okay, so leaving your father and mother and holding fast to your wife has to do with leaving your parents' household, moving out. It has to do with shifting your dependency, right? Because you can't be depending on your parents any longer if you're married. You have to shift your dependency. It has to do with adjusting the way you communicate with your parents because obviously the relationship dynamics have changed. You can't, it's not the same. You're your own couple now and maybe family. It has to do with putting your spouse above others, for husbands, above yourself, but not above Christ. I recently um, had a conversation with a guy who just started going on and on and on. You know, he's a married guy, and he started going on and on and on about his mother, just on and on and on. She's this and she's that, and she's wonderful, and she's just the, the best thing since sliced bread. She's always been there for me. She's always been faithful. I was thinking, are you talking about Jesus? I mean, it was like, this is an amazing mother. I don't want to take anything away from her. Just kept going on and on and on about his mother. And, you know, I just said, well, what about your wife? You don't talk about your wife like that. What about your wife? And he said, he said this literally, not even close. And I said, well, you know, it, 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 you know I'm aware that you, you have problems in your marriage with your wife. You've been having a lot of struggles and problems lately, and pretty much these things have been there since day one. Do you think that maybe the trouble could be tied to your view of your mother and the attention you give her in these things? And he says this. He says, my wife knows she can't hold a candle to her. Okay. A husband needs to be very, very, very careful not to exalt his parents' mother above his wife, depriving her of the love, attention, and affection, the respect, all the things that she needs. Your, your wives, guys, need these things. We know that Jesus is the ultimate source for them, but we are to follow his example and provide them. A husband should never make his wife feel like she is competing with his mother, ever, Ever. And I would say this, husbands and wives also need to establish and maintain healthy boundaries with their parents. Sharing private marriage matters or complaining about your spouse to your parents is not wise. Why? Because negative opinions, biases, and resentments can be formed further impacting your marriage. The last thing you need in your marriage is your parents disliking your spouse. You don't want that. Well, I dislike him. 
Let me tell you something. If you are in, if it is your, if it's business as usual for you as a spouse to continue to go to the parents and to open up to them about this and that and the things that, you know, your spouse does or doesn't do or how he or she falls short and all that stuff, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to absolutely annihilate trust. Your spouse will not trust you if you keep going to your parents and telling them about his or her, you know, lack of competency or mistakes. Your spouse is going to be like... Why would I share anything with you? Why would I even attempt to do anything when the first thing you do is run off to your mother? They hate me. Your parents hate me. Because of you just about everything. And it happens in, 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 in the other example of the guy I was mentioning earlier. That was his issue. Well, mom, you don't even know what she did now. I don't know why you married her. I told you she was trouble from the beginning. Oh, that's helpful. You were a fool, but I love you, baby. Look, man, if you have a problem with your spouse, pray and then bring it to your spouse's attention. That's who you should try to talk to at first. It may not be easy, but pray about it. Let the Lord soften your heart and bring that issue, right? Loving correction. And if, you need, if you're just blown out and you need to vent your frustrations, go to a godly and trusted friend. Do not go to your folks under any circumstances. Don't let them form biases and don't turn them against your spouse. And I know it caters to the flesh. We like it when people side with us. We want, you know, oh yeah, that's right, mom, defend me. We love that. That makes us feel good. Demonizing your spouse, the one whom you're married to and supposed to be loving. Hello? Leave your parents out of certain things. There are things that you should not talk to your parents about. Before moving on, look again at the phrase, hold fast. Some translations say cleave to his wife. Holding fast and cleaving has to do with being glued together in an inseparable bond. Literally. This is illustrated through Paul's use of the next phrase, the two shall become one flesh. A husband and wife have been joined together by God to the point that they become one person. This means that a husband's actions impact his wife and a wife's actions impact her husband. Because of this oneness, we have to become more and more considerate of one another, especially when it comes to making decisions. Honey, I bought a boat. Oh. You're acting like an individual, not a married person when you do that, guys. You're acting like a single guy who has a roommate who will be thrilled about your $52,000 purchase. And then when she tells you to take it back, she's always wrecking my life. We, we have to become more and more sensitive because we're one, considerate and sensitive. I know it's not easy for us guys to be sensitive. I'm not very sensitive. People are like, you're on fire. Really? I didn't even know. We just don't feel like wives do. And we need to grow in sensitivity because we just, we just need to be considerate. I've been learning this. It's been a tough thing because I'm still so much of an individual and, and independent in some ways, and I still continue to make decisions and some not wise at times, and, and then I bring my wife into it and subject her to it and then frustrate her. And what happens? It frustrates our marriage, our relationship. It frustrates our walk with Christ. We also need to remember that the devil, the world, and the flesh are hell-bent on dividing us and destroying our marriages and families. And the devil will use anything and everything to achieve this goal. That's what he wants to do. 
That's how you destroy lives. That's how you destroy nations. Just kill the family. Kill marriages. The devil will use our friends. He'll use our co-workers. He'll use our relatives. He will use our parents. And even our own children at times. He does. We need to become better equipped and readied for battle because these threats are very real. And I'm super, super glad that Paul begins to unpack some of this stuff in Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God and all that, and we'll get to that. Moving on. A marriage represents something significant. We're almost done. Something significant, something beyond, something mysterious, and even hidden from the Old Testament saints. Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There is a profound mystery surrounding Christian marriage, and it is this. A Christian marriage is a picture of the marriage relationship between Christ and his church. Christ is the divine bridegroom, and the church is his everlasting bride. The husband is an earthly bridegroom, and his wife is his earthly bride. Those are the parallels. This means that our marriages are a testimony. They reveal Christ and his church to those around us and to the world. And this is the ultimate purpose of marriage. We've been told that marriage is about companionship, intimacy, pleasure, happiness, children, and so on. And these things are true, but they are not the ultimate purpose of marriage. If you think happiness is the ultimate purpose of your marriage, then you're never going to be happy. The ultimate purpose of marriage is to display Christ and church, the church, to the world. That's the ultimate purpose. Now, if you fail to realize this, you will not take your marriage as seriously as you should. You won't. Your marriage is about Jesus. It's about displaying Jesus and his bride to the world. That love relationship, how he provides, how he cares. That's why it's so important, men, that we live according to God's design because we are displaying the love and provision of Christ to the church by doing those same things for our wives and our families. That's the ultimate purpose. We make Jesus... Known And my question to you is how well are you displaying Jesus to this dark and hurting world through your marriage, if you're married? Let me tell you this, wives, if you are living out the scripture that we've been looking at, if you're submitting to your husbands and husbands, if you are living out these scriptures and loving your wives, you are doing it. You are displaying Christ in his church. You are making the mystery known to those around you if you're doing what the scripture talks about here. You are. Let's begin to wrap it up by looking at Paul's closing exhortation in verse 33. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, here's what's going on here. Paul did not want the Ephesians to get lost in the mystery of marriage. It's pretty easy for us to become sort of enamored with the deep and you know, mysterious theological truths of Scripture, I'd say, right? For most of us, at least. And you can just get kind of, wow, it has to do with Christ and this, and you can just kind of focus on that. One of the things that people emphasize today is the end times. They never leave that. Hey, there's a world going on right now. I know, but I don't care about this one. I want that one. You need to care about this one. We just become enamored with these mysterious things in Scripture, things that aren't Maybe perfectly clear, but just they whet our appetite. And we're like, wow, I want to focus on that. I want to look into that. It's easy for us to become fixed on the mysteries of Scripture rather than focused on the everyday practical truths of Scripture. Paul understood our propensity. He understood the Ephesians' propensity. 
And that is why he introduced the next verse with the word, however. This was his way of saying, don't get tangled up in the mystery. Practice the following. Don't miss the big point here is what he's saying. What did he command them to practice? Two things, love and respect. Husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. Okay, how does a husband love his wife? What have we learned? He cares for her spiritual needs. He cares for her physical needs. And he puts her above others. He makes that separation with family and others, exalts her above himself, humbles himself, considers her better than him and greater than him. But he doesn't put her above Christ because that's idolatry. That's how he loves her. He cares for her, physical, spiritual. And he says, I'm not going to let anyone come between her and I. I'm not letting my buddies, I'm not letting these other people over here, I'm not letting my parents who have been doing this, I'm not, I'm not doing that. She's what's important. That's how he loves her. How does a wife respect her husband? What have we learned last week? She submits to him as to the Lord. What should motivate us to, to, to love and, and to submit, to do our part, to accept our role, to move forward in this stuff, to obey? Fear? Guilt? Compulsion? A sense of duty? A selfish desire? No. Agape. Love. And I will add the glory of God because all things are to be done under the glory of God.